Hi there, I'm Dr. Mirdalis Diaz Ramirez, and this is the Design Your Physician Life podcast. Welcome to this episode brought to you by our Max Solar Mastermind, which is a personal and professional development program for physicians who want to learn entrepreneurship. Today, I will explore this question, will AI substitute the physician? Are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Design Your Physician Life podcast, where you will get excited about being a physician, learn the tools that can help boost your success, and great tips from successful doctors. Join us to unlock the keys to an amazing physician life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Mirdalis Diaz Ramirez. Well, today I'm going to try to answer that question. And I have to tell you, I've always been curious about technology. When I was in college, I studied uh, the languages BASIC, C++, and Pascal, and I was programming on those languages. And I love them so much that I became even teacher's assistant for these languages. And don't ask me right now about programming with them, because I forgot, like, if you don't use it, you lose it. I have lost them. I'm pretty sure that I could pick it up once again. But these days, I'm focusing more on what's called prompt engineering, which I'm really enjoying. And I recommend that you uh, look it up so that maybe you become an enthusiast as, uh, of that as well. But, you know, in, in my past, not only we did a lot of programming, one summer when I was doing research at MIT, we spent nights in the computer lab sending each other emails just because this was a new technology at the time and it was really amazing. The fact that you could send messages to each other just through the computer and we're sitting in one computer and then the other one in the other computer in the other side of the room and we're sending messages that was like incredible to us. So I went from there, I went from all that love of technology and went into medicine, but really never stopped loving innovation. And now with the wide use of what we're calling artificial intelligence, you know, I can't stop but being drawn back into this world. This is why I've been learning some more and I'm finishing some studies you know, online with Stanford on AI and medicine, and it's been amazing. So the question I'm being, you know, trying to answer and, and explore is that if this new technology will substitute the work of us as physicians. Just this week, we were watching one of the old Star Wars movies, and in one of the uh, movies, there's a planet that disappears from the maps. Even though the planet is there and they can see the attraction towards the sun, but when Obi-Wan Kenobi was, goes to the librarian, the librarian tells the Obi-Wan Kenobi that if it's not in their data library, it doesn't exist. But Obi-Wan Kenobi knows like somebody told him that, you know, the planet is there and they just need to go and find it. So he goes to Yoda to ask him about this planet, if he has heard about this planet. And then he recruits what's called a Palaman or a little youngling that he's training to give him the answer. And that youngling concludes that, the reason why the planet is not in that library is because someone removed it from the data set. So then this one Yoda asks and makes a distinction, you know, what do you prefer? What should we pay attention to? Is it knowledge or wisdom? And when I'm thinking about artificial intelligence or machine learning, you know, I say that is, is this technology wise enough yet to be used widely in medicine? And I don't think so, not yet, but will it be in the next five or 10 years? And I have to tell you that the more I learn, the less I know the answer to this timing of this event, but the more possible I see it happening for some indications, at least at the beginning. We know that now we have this explosion of tools because 
We have the data sets that we didn't have before, you know, with the EHR. Now we were able to have so much data, so much information from, from radiology to all the things that the patients are telling us. We're putting it on these data sets and we didn't have that before. So we didn't have where to gather that from. And also we didn't have the programming capabilities that we now have. So even though similar questions about processing and safety and human replacement have been asked since the 1970s and maybe later, we just didn't have uh, ways to process, ways of obtaining the data and then ways of processing it, which we now have. So last week, uh, one of my business partners, she's a bariatric surgeon with her group in the hospital. They celebrated 15,000 robotic surgery procedures made at that hospital, made by her and a group of physicians. And that was amazing, you know, robotic surgery. We've talked about robotics helping us. And they, as physicians, have done these 15,000 procedures. And then at the same time, just yesterday, I was, you know, I've been polishing my surgical skills again. And then while I was doing minimally invasive lumbar surgeries, I was there just, you know, I just can't imagine right now how this technology will substitute us Uh, the ones who are doing procedures anytime soon. However, if we look into other things that have been happening in other areas of medicine, you know, there was just recently a report of how someone saw 16 clinicians and had no answer for their child's ailments. And it wasn't until they put everything through ChatGPT that they got the clues that they needed. And this is not meant to be a diagnostic tool. So that's very important to take into consideration, you know. We are starting to use tools that are available for uses that are not approved, like in this case, but it gave them the answer that they were looking for. So it tells us like we are already seeing places where artificial intelligence or machine learning are really finding clues and giving answers, even though it's not meant to do that. So great advancements have been made, for example, in radiology. Some of these AI tools can now take professional exams and pass them like the MCATs and even, you know, in other areas like the law exams and and they're doing really well. And at the same time, they have been programmed at times to uh, offer medical care with the same or more compassion that some humans can. So do you think we can be substituted at least in the near future? I'm not sure yet. There are many components that have to be taken care of before we see the tools completely substituting, for example, the at least the diagnosis and therapeutic recommendations that are done by a physician from my point of view. And when I talk about that, I, I talk about more, uh, you know, of, of that work that physicians who are not doing procedures are doing, you know, like you go to the doctor, you give the information and we process it with our experience and experience is basically data. So can we be substituted? Not yet. A lot of that will have to do with the data sets, the biases of the data, discrimination, privacy, and government regulation, for example. There are a set of rules that the governments are imposing, you know, in, uh, imposing with the development of artificial intelligence. Or some of us, you know, machine learning, which is what should be called as that's a semantic um, there, but um, five you can read about that somewhere else. But here in the United States, the Office of Management and Budget for the U.S. is called the OMB. They have a series of regulation for the development of this technology. And right now there's a memo that's been developed by the current government detailing new requirements for managing AI. But the areas in general 
that they want to focus or historically the OMB has focused on are, for example, data privacy and security. So ensuring that all AI systems can handle data securely and maintain user privacy. And one of the things that has been asked is that if your data is used for developing any of these programs, should you be notified, you know, and are we being notified? I don't know if the consents that we're giving, for example, to the big hospitals or anywhere where they're producing in, you know, in the academic institutions over this, right now we would have to guess yes, but that's something that the government is is looking at. The other thing is transparency, obviously requiring clear disclosure of the use of the AI and the logic, the significance and the consequences of that technology. Um, accountability, so establishing uh, a responsibility for the AI system outcomes. For example, if something happens at your office and you used AI to produce, you know, to help somebody, who's liable for that? Is it the doctor or is it the person who created the machine or is it both? Um, so these type of things need to be looked at. Also fairness and non-discrimination. One of the things that has happened is, you know, when you have good data, you will have good output, but not everything has good data. And there's there's many examples of things that have been made and they really were seem to be producing great results. But at the end of the day, when you go to implement them in the group that you're going to implement that, that doesn't really follow the, the, the same characteristics of the data set that you had to create that application. And then you have to determine what's good enough, right? And what's safe enough for for the end user. And then risk management, obviously assessing and mitigating risk associated with the deployment of these technologies, because it doesn't matter that this was safe in the lab. Just think about a medication, like it can be safe in the lab and then you have your aftermarket release results. And as you expand more people using these technologies, then you'll discover more issues with them. And then interoperability and standardization is something important that they will be looking at. So right now, the this new memo from the OMB will be, uh, they are outlining around 10 new requirements for managing AI. They're going to focus really on generative AI, especially, you know, with chat GPT um, and the explosion that it has been. Uh, also, AI governance and leadership. So they're going to be establishing, you know, chief AI officers and, and AI governance boards and uh, all those things that are not present right now. And to tell you the truth, these conversations should have happened a long time ago. But because they're happening right now, they offer an opportunity for physicians who want to be involved to be able to immerse themselves in these processes. So this is something that if you're interested in, then you can go on ahead and do. And then also they're going to be uh, promoting AI innovation. So they're encouraging agencies to identify and prioritize the use cases that improve the agency's missions. And this is from a government point of view. They want to also um, outline minimum practices for AI using safety impacting or rights impacting areas and requires the agencies. It will require agencies to report specific lists of such uh, AI purposes manu- um, every year. They also will be talking about public strategy and AI maturity, but there are some things that might be missing from the government. In this case with AI, the funding, uh, the data quality and sharing and the workforce uh, training are gonna be important things that are still missing from there. Also the details on AI maturity 
and qualifications to be those uh, chief AI uh, roles. So it's it's something that the government is doing. It's not only the U.S. It's going. It's happening uh, across the the whole world. And as I said, it's an opportunity. One of the things that I see as a challenge whenever people are submitting uh, for any application, if it's a machine that's going to be using a patient, it has to be approved here by the FDA. And there's this set of researches. There's uh, Tina Hernandez-Bussard, and they had this paper, which was developing reporting standards for artificial intelligence in healthcare. And they recommend that what they have called the minimar, which is the minimum information for medical AI reporting. And they think, they have suggested, and uh, people are moving towards this, that the general principles of this minimar design, it will give several requirements for a standard when you are submitting for a project, right? So you will be, you should be required at least report whenever you're getting um, a in an application submitted um, to talk about the study population and setting that you're going to be doing, the model architecture you're going to be using in detail, the model evaluation within the model evaluation, transparency, you know, uh, optimization, validation, all these things, how you're going to do it before you start. And then one of the things that is um, important, for example, let's say that you created an application that will allow you to predict certain disease in certain population. As you grow, after you implement something like that, suppose that you were successful, you have a wonderful model that was created and that's going to be helping clinicians in the, you know, in, in the outpatient setting, for example. Then every time you have a change, in the data set that's used to to produce that model that even anytime you have any change you have to resubmit that to the FDA so these are the areas where we're still gray areas there's a lot of work that needs to be done and that's why there's this question if it's really going to be enough time like within the next 5 years to substitute those duties of a physician however as i said we are seeing uses like that guy, you know, the, the family uh, for this patient who used ChatGPT for that child, right? So we have now tools that are being used by end users that are not meant to be used in that way. One of the things that we have in the United States is a great gap in healthcare. You know, we're missing, it's, it's going to be over 100,000 physicians that are missing for the caring patients in this country. So one possibility I see is that AI will help us bridge that gap in the near future by allowing us maybe communicating with these patients more that we've done through telemedicine, but also evaluate the patients, uh, evaluate more patients, uh, have better processing of the information so that we can make it quicker and um, developing uh, development of tools that might need um, maybe, you know, the patient's do their input into these tools. And then with some clinical supervision, it will allow us for some diagnosis and treatment algorithms, right? Supervised by clinicians. And then that might be the beginning of this as I'm seeing it. Um, then we might be seeing uh, this followed by a much lesser need of diagnosticians. So like those of us who make the diagnosis and then those of us who make the algorithms to treat um, it's a lot of data that has to be used. There's a lot of issues with uh, uh, the, the quality of the data 
specifically. So it, it might take a little bit longer than five years in many areas, but not, not that far. Also, suppose that that happens, we still have the physicians who do procedures. So like my friend who's doing robotic surgery or, or me whom I'm doing the spine procedures for the moment. So I think for now, we are not going to be seeing a substitution in those areas. So because of the challenges that we've discussed, I think it would be hard to see this whole transformation happening, at least within the next five years. Nevertheless, I, you know, we do see a great shift in healthcare that will give way more access to patients and clinicians to information and the ability to deduct and achieve great health. Um, so one thing that I believe is certain is that the involvement in artificial intelligence or machine learning is not something uh, that can wait any longer or for us as physicians. So every physician should right now be exploring how they'll get involved in the future that's already here, right? Uh, one thing that I'm looking to see in the future that I would love to see is that little machine that the doctor used in Star Trek. I don't know if you remember this. I remember seeing this. Maybe it's a poor memory I have, but this um, doctor, she was a female, and then had a, a machine that would go over the person and then it would tell them what the, the that patient had. And now if you think about this, just think about, we have already glucose, continuous glucose monitors, right? We have technology that measures our vitals, our EKG. I was talking to Dr. Raj Gopalan in one of our podcasts recently, and he was saying that not only you can measure your glucose, but soon you will be able to measure your potassium, your sodium, and all these things, the same way that you're doing your continuous glucose monitoring. So imagine you already have the capabilities soon to measure all these labs real time, plus your vitals, plus your sleep quality and other body measurements that we can have. So with a little bit more data and good programming, we would put all those together and then have a protocol soon to tell you how to optimize your health, even on a constant daily basis at home. So right there, we could have substitution of, of physicians. When will that happen? I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen in the next five years. There's a lot of work to do. I think that our systems are really immature in terms of development and implementation, but not immature enough that we're going to have certainly access. You know, we already have tons of things that we use for AI in a daily basis. And, and this is growing because of all the computing capabilities we now have. And we haven't even talked about uh, quantum computing that's around the corner. So that's the way I see this uh, question answered today, this is September 2023. We'll see. We'll see how it's answered in September 2028. Uh, but I'm certainly excited. I'm glad to be part of this, to be able to see this whole evolution. And one important thing that we want to focus on is that we want to certainly keep these two, you know, for for the use, for the good use of humans. and. As we see all this development happening, then we have to see it and think how we're going to be able to contribute to this transformation, to this big, huge shift that's happening and how we're going to do, you know, what's going to be our next step, our next uh, uh, part that we have to play in this journey. So that's my thought. And I hope that this has created some uh, food for thought, you know, give him some food for thought so that you can hopefully get involved. And I'll see you soon. Thanks for being here. Bye.
Well, guys, that was it for today. I hope that you learned some. I've been learning a lot of this topic and I'm very excited to bring this information to you. Please reach us through our website, maxcelery.com and through our groups. You can actually look for us in LinkedIn and you can also see our YouTube channel, which is called Max Celery Mastermind. I'll see you then. Have a great week. Please share this with others. Give us five stars and subscribe. We'll see you then. Thanks. Bye. Please remember that design is not providing specific financial, medical, or career advice. Our only intent is to stimulate your appetite for growth by sharing our experience and those of our speakers, coaches, and guests. Your personal growth and success will be unique to your circumstances and your hard work. We sincerely hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next week.